you have something that's called the erector pili muscle that holds your hair follicle in place within your skin. Huh. Now, if that erector pili muscle detaches from the hair follicle in your scalp, that follicle dies. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Think Big Bodybuilding Media. I'm Scott McNally, and back with me today is Dr. Dean St. Mart. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a few things, including hair loss, which has been uh, a topic that it, it's kind of a, a niche topic. A lot of people in bodybuilding, they just shave their heads and they're fine with that. And then <laughs> if I talk a little bit about my hair loss protocol, which I'll, I'll talk a little bit about today, then there's always a handful of people that want to know more. So I thought this would be fun. First of all, man, uh, I'm I'm happy to have you back. We've it's been a little while. It definitely has, yeah. I, I was only saying today it's probably been February, so it's nearly ten months ago. Yes, it's, it's been too long. It's been a long ten months for me, that's for sure. And yeah, you're <laughs> working independently now. You quit your your day job as an engineer. You are working full time now with Supplement Needs fantastic company by the way you guys are knocking it out of the park man with some of the best uh health supplements that are available on the market so i'm i'm really happy to know there's companies like supplement needs out there yeah and i'm i'm really happy that it exists as well because it, it definitely for a long time was required in this industry where i was just even myself as a consumer a few years ago just annoyed that people were getting ripped off or there was nothing really catered towards, you know, the whole, um, I guess, audience of this channel with bodybuilders and keeping bodybuilders healthy and safe and giving the right education. Yeah. So it's definitely, um, like I said to you before we started, it's it's very surreal that this is now my full time job. It's freaking awesome, man! And you're doing good things. I think that uh, bodybuilding is lucky to have you because I can tell you that back when I started. We were simply told, take some milk thistle, and that was the only health supplement that we used. Milk thistle, 1,000 milligrams while you're on an oral. Outside of that, you're good. Just uh, make sure you run your PCT, and that's it. You're fine, period. That's it. And then I guess we, we are starting to wonder why perhaps guys now from 20 years ago who might have started using are suffering health mm. consequences. So yeah, it's... It's definitely a, an interesting time that we live in with the, obviously the accessibility of the internet and the open transparency of people like myself and Victoria, et cetera, that are, you know, giving out free education yeah. to those who are going to listen. But because ultimately at the end of the day, I want people to live happily into their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s without suffering consequences of some of the, the choices they may have made. Hell yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. I know uh, you guys have, uh, as your shirt says, Supplement Needs Education, SN Education, and that you have a big thing that you've put together or are putting together over there about hair loss. We won't be able to, to go in quite as deep because the reality is I don't have the attention span to sit here for the next hour and learn everything. <laughs> But I, I want to, I don't know if some of our listeners do. Some of them do. Some of them do. Um, but I thought, let's let's maybe look at some of the, uh, I, I guess, more than bullet points. You know, I want to know a couple things. I want to know, you know, what are the, the causes of hair loss to start? And then uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about, 
you know, what are some of the things we could consider to, I guess, keep hair or regrow hair? Where, where, where would you want to start with something like this? Um, I guess we can talk about potentially some of the mechanisms of why your hair falls out. Okay. And then we can we can have a, we can have a discussion of you know some of the treatments or why certain treatments work and others don't, but um like you said with S and education I this was basically a topic that arose because I put a picture on social media of my own hair regrowth. Yes, I um I basically got my hair cut in the summer and it was really bad. I had quite a lot of temporal thinning up here yeah. on both the left and right side. And I just turned to my wife, Morgan, and said, how come you never, ever said this to me that my hair was this bad? <laughs> and she just she turned around and said, well, to be honest, I was never really paying attention. But now that you do say it, yeah, it is quite thin compared to when I first met you. So <laughs> I guess... Probably one of the things that happens with guys, like you said, they either shave their head or they get lazy and just ignore it. Yeah. And the, the issue is that we're going to see when we have a little chat here is it's irreversible if you don't intervene quickly. What, what effectively will happen is the hair follicle will die. And the only way you're getting a hair follicle back would be with a transplant. Mm. So it's it's imperative that when you start to see, you know, thinning of hair or miniaturization, where the hair is, you know, becoming very fine and thin, or you have lost hair, basically where it's fallen out, that you intervene quick, quickly enough to stimulate that hair follicle to grow again for those stem cells to start growing. Yeah. So that the hair, the hair follicle is basically kept intact. Am I, now, am I right in this? Because I think I've heard that if you are visually seeing hair loss, that you've already lost a lot. Like you have to lose a ton of your hair before you actually can notice it. Yeah, like on average with the hair growth cycle, you'll lose between 50 to 100 hairs per day. Okay. So when you, when you rub your hand through your hair and you see hair actually in your hand, sometimes guy, guys freak where they psychologically think they're losing their hair. But in fact, it's just part of the hair cycle where you shed a hair, which is effectively called a club hair. So that hair can no longer grow. It's mm. it's detached from stem cells in the hair follicle. So effectively, it's just resting in your scalp. Okay. And eventually, your scalp releases that hair and starts growing a new one. Mm. So that, that's effectively a club hair will fall out and you'll see that naturally on your pillow. Hopefully, now, it starts growing a new one. That's what I'll Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, when you start to see this... I guess bitemporal thinning, so basically that sort of widow's peak or both sides, that's sort of the first area where we start to see the genetic predisposition for this androgenic alopecia to happen. Yeah. So I guess with hair loss, before we get off on a tangent with alopecia from androgenetic issues, there's sort of seven major ways that you can have hair loss. The, the first one would be known as telogen effluvium, and that's sort of where your hair falls out due to stress mm. so when, when you're undergoing a real stressful period this is more so females will notice this you'll see an increased um shedding or what we call a sort of resting phase of our hair and you're shedding hair at a faster rate than the anagen phase which is where your hair grows is keeping up so it's all about keeping this balance between the anagen phase which is where your hair grows and the telogen phase where your hair sort of rests or waits to be shed. Okay. 
So the telogen effluvium is normally caused by psychological stress or it can be caused by physical stress, but that's where your hair is sort of being shed, but there's hair still growing underneath. So it's not sort of an alopecia that would be irreversible. Yeah. Once you, once you address that stress, it should restore balance to the hair follicle and that shedding will cease. Yeah. Then you've sort of got nutritional impacts. Mm. So again, your hair, your hair is made of keratin, which is a protein. So if you're not ingesting enough protein or you're not getting enough uh, vitamins and minerals like vitamin A, vitamin D, uh, zinc, I think vitamin C plays a role as well, selenium, they can all lead to obviously brittle hair and hair is going to fall out then because again, it's not being nourished at the follicle. Yeah. Um, you've got endocrine imbalances like androgenic alopecia where you have a higher amount of androgens in your body and that's going to affect the hair cycle. So in other words, you're shortening that anagen phase where your hair is growing and mm. you're lengthening that telogen phase where the follicle is resting. And effectively over time, then the follicle isn't producing hair at a faster rate than it's being shed. And eventually that follicle dies if you don't keep up with that, that I guess, anagen phase imbalance. Huh. So that's probably going to be like the majority of our viewers and listeners. Yeah. And then like, obviously the, the other ones, this is all, there's a nice published paper where it breaks down like sort of the seven major causes of hair loss. You've got, you know, certain drugs can cause hair loss. And a lot of guys don't realize that, you know, use of AIs, aromatase inhibitors, where you're lowering your estrogen too much. Yes. Can affect your hair. Yes. So you need a, you need a, a steady concentration of estradiol in order to, encourage blood flow to your scalp and also to limit the amount of testosterone in your scalp that can be produced over to DHT. Hmm. So estrogen is very important for your hair. Um, and another thing obviously would be something like tamoxifen, which is hmm. a selective estrogen receptor modulator. Using tamoxifen to block that estrogen receptor. If it happens in the scalp, you're going to upset that balance. So again, you might see hair shedding. I'll be damned. With the use, with hmm. the use of tamoxifen. So you're sort of, you know, you're, it's a double-edged sword here. If you use either tamoxifen or an AI, that, that balance of estrogen is very important for your, your hair. And then I guess the other ones would be, you know, certain diseases or malignancies, like again, cancer, et cetera, would, would lead to hair loss. But yeah. I guess the one that's going to really interest people here is that androgenic alopecia where we have hyperandrogenemia basically you've got too much androgens within the body which can then act locally on the hair follicle upset the balance of this hair cycle between the anagen intelligent phase and ultimately over time lead to miniaturization of your hair so you're no longer producing thick hair and eventually what will happen is you have something that's called the erector pili muscle that holds your hair follicle in place within your skin. Huh. Now, if that erector pili muscle detaches from the hair follicle in your scalp, that follicle dies. Yeah. So you can imagine as the hair miniaturizes and becomes thin, the attachment of that muscle within the, the dermis gets less strong. So it becomes weak. And if you allow that miniaturization to continue, 
eventually that erector pili muscle that's attached to the hair follicle detaches. And again, that's there for strength, but then it also causes the detachment of where you have stem cells within your hair follicle detaching also. Hmm. Okay. So this is, this is important that when you start to see hair loss, that you correct it as soon as possible, because when you get to that point whereby the erector pili muscle has detached from the follicle, you end up in a scenario then where you have basically lost the hair follicle and you're going to be bald unless you transplant a new graft of a hair that's already attached to the erector pili muscle. Yeah. Okay. So that's sort of why we need to intervene mm-hmm. as soon as possible when we start to see hair falling out. Then we can sort of get into, you know, the real sort of nitty gritty. But I'll keep it as simple as possible here that you have your hair follicle and at the bottom of it, we have what's called the dermal papilla. And the dermal papilla is what attaches to the bulb of your hair. So at the bottom of your hair follicle, you've got this dermal papilla and out of that grows the hair. If that dermal papilla detaches from the hair follicle as well, you lose blood flow to the hair follicle. And again, that follicle dies. Hmm. So it's important that, you know, we've got quite a number of physiological things that we have to consider when we're looking at the health of that hair follicle and ensuring that this intelligent phase, the resting phase of our hair stays as short as possible Hmm. in order for the hair underneath to progress back to antigen and grow a new hair shaft. Okay. So sort of the main ways we tackle hair loss, there's sort of four approved ways of addressing hair loss. So we can either increase blood flow to that dermal papilla. Yes. So that dermal papilla now has more blood going to it, more nutrients, more keratin, more growth factors, etc., that stimulates the growth of that hair. So if you can bring more blood flow to the hair follicle, there's a chance then that we're bringing more nutrients and encouraging that hair shaft to grow again. Did you see? Can, did you see that study where they actually talked about like I can't remember what the duration was, but they were doing head massages. Yeah, head massage and microneedling is a big thing. Yeah, that effectively helps. So microneedling, not only good for helping collagen in the skin, you can actually do microneedling to stimulate hair growth. Huh, and, no kidding. And that, that's a, it's something that's become very popular in the last 10 years. Um, so what you're sort of playing on when you do microneedling is you're encouraging blood flow to that hair follicle through inducing a wound. Yeah. So if you think about it, when you when you get a wound anywhere in your body, if you get a cut... You have all these platelets, clotting factors coming to the area to help heal that wound. Yeah. Now, when you have when you have a wound within a hair follicle, the same thing happens again. You have an immune system within your scalp, as you would anywhere in your body. But the immune system in your scalp is very important because it helps to basically break down a dead tissue that's in the scalp. Again, cleaning up the area if there's any bacteria or pathogens present that might be upsetting the balance of the the microbiome of the scalp. When we induce a wound in the scalp, these sort of, you know, immune response cells come in, tidy up the area, bring these growth factors with them. 
and help stimulate the growth of hair again. So with that microneedling, it's, it's a really nice way to help stimulate the growth of hair. But also, you're creating micro channels in your skin. So you're punching little pores into your skin with this microneedle. So if you're using topical solutions like minoxidil or finasteride or, or other things that we know that we can apply to the scalp, you're creating a little micro channel to allow that solution to penetrate into the dermis as well. I'll be darned. Because we yeah, know we, that makes sense. We know that the barrier to skin is is quite thick and again it's it's there to stop things from being absorbed. Huh. So if we can get more I guess local absorption of a compound through yeah. the surface of the skin to the, the root of the hair follicle, you're going to for example, minoxidil. Minoxidil increases blood flow to to your scalp. Yeah. So if minoxidil can actually reach, penetrate your scalp, it's going to encourage more blood flow, more growth factors, etc. to that hair follicle. And again, you're going to be enriching that dermal papilla with more nutrients and your hair becomes stronger again. Yeah. I. Uh, so well, first of all, this is kind of funny. Matt had said uh, uh, he needs this study so that he can show his wife so that he can... Get some more head rubs. I think they were saying it was like 25 minutes a day or something like that, which I mean, that's that's a big commitment to get a head massage every day for 25 minutes. Uh, I know now for skin, they use a thing that I've heard from from people that actually are in, you know, the, the, the beauty industry called a derma roller that does micro needling across the surface of your That's face for, for resurfacing. Yeah. Is that what you would use on your head or how yeah. does that work? Yeah. 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 You get a derma roll. A one, the study they done was between 0.6 of a millimeter to 1.5 millimeter. Okay. So effectively a derma roller that you'd use on your skin, but you're using it on your scalp. Huh. I'll be darned. So again, if you think about it with the, with the skin, it's helping to stimulate collagen production. Yeah. So again, when you're using a derma roller, you're encouraging collagen to come to the area of that hair follicle. So you're bringing all these growth factors. Yeah. The main one being, um, it's called vascular endothelial growth factor, V-E-G-F. And that's sort of one of the main ones that helps hair proliferation. Can we get like so our microneedling- research chem company owners that are listening? Let's get on that. <laughs> like that's sort of the one of the easiest ways that you can encourage blood flow to the scalp. Okay. Um, so you can do that, you know, two or three times per week. And then, like I said, if you incorporate it with topical application, there's a really nice study. If you put it into PubMed about, um, using microneedling along with minoxidil therapy and the results, the results are incredible. When you see the difference in pictures between the males who applied minoxidil only and the males who don't microneedling, or derma rolling twice a week and then continued their minoxyl therapy on top. Huh. So that's something that um, everyone can do at home. Just um, make sure that, you know, if you're going to do it, that you follow like good hygienic practice because effectively you are causing wounds in your scalp that can lead to infection. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like one of those things, like I know bodybuilders were like, Hey, if you know, 500 milligrams of test is good, then three grams is better. I can imagine some of these guys, some of our, our people are, could take this too far. So go, go easy. You're saying, and start, yeah, start and then with it. They, they, they do warn that if you do combined therapy of derma rolling with 
applying a topical solution that you avoid applying the topical solution after derma rolling. Okay. The reason being is you might increase the chance of systemic circulation oh, or yeah. systemic absorption. Yeah. And if, if we sort of look at why minoxidil came about in the first place, it was actually an oral drug for lowering blood pressure. No kidding. Huh. But everyone who took everyone who took oral minoxidil ended up with what's called hypertrichosis. Okay. Which is ex- excessive hair growth all over the body. Holy crap. And that was when they sort of thought, okay, something interesting is happening here. Yeah. What if we what if we applied it as a topical solution to the scalp? Can we get people with alopecia to start regrowing hair and that's yeah. what he started to observe in the 80s so that's where topical monoxyl actually came about then that's crazy so if if you do on the off chance apply topical monoxyl after derma rolling there's a chance some of it might go into your bloodstream and might start causing hair to grow in places where you don't want it to grow yeah yeah all right <laughs> um then I guess, you know, the, the other sort of, that's sort of encouraging blood flow to your scalp. So minoxyl is probably the one that everyone's heard of. And then the derma rolling on top can help. Or if you have a willing uh, partner, nice Indian head massage a couple of times a week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get ahead can... of you. I, I'm so on, but I'm using minoxidil. I started it. I saw, you know, my hair always, I always had like really high peaks on my hair. I always had like a five head, you know, uh, my hairline was always high, but my hair had been thicker than it became as I aged. And I, I thought, you know what, I'll give it a try. I'm going to try some minoxidil. And I found that it worked. And then I added, I didn't want to take finasteride tablets orally, but I started, I you know, looking into it and Victoria was looking into it. And we, we discovered the topical finasteride as well. So that I used that combo. Man, I could see derma rolling on top of that being kind of like the trifecta. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the big things with my own hair growth was topical minoxidil with topical finasterides. Yes. And that's one combo. thing that's that's one thing that guys like and I get a specific prescription of a a spray that has minoxidil and finasteride. I don't have to do the home job that you're doing with crushing up tablets and suspending yes. it in the minoxidil. <laughs> yeah, so and just cuz I know I'm going to get people asking, that's that's all I do is I'll have uh one bottle of the foam minoxidil. I'll use that in the morning, 5 5 milligrams is it? And, and yeah, then yeah, 5%. PM I use the liquid version of minoxidil which is in a in a, in a it's pegylated, it's in a you know a PEG. I just take the tablets and just drop them in there that I get from my prescription. And, um, you know, by the, if I put them in there in the morning by nighttime, it's dissolved. And then I have a 60 day supply. I've gone a little bit higher cause I get the five milligram tablets. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my combo. I'm, I'm at, I think probably about like 1.25 milligrams topically a day of finasteride. Yeah, I'm, and what we see is the difference between, hair growth of topical and oral finasteride is very similar. Really? So okay. yeah, guys are going the route of what, what basically happened was when you read the research, they were trying to argue that it wasn't just blocking five alpha reductase in the scalp. That was important. Hmm. It was blocking five alpha reductase in the whole body. And that's why they were sort of trying to push oral being superior to topical for finasteride. 
So they've done a, a phase one, phase two, and the results of a phase three clinical trial were published, I think last year. But the results between topical and oral finasteride were pretty much the same. I didn't realize so, that, but I, I'll, I'll take it, man, because I, I know so many people have had issues with it orally, you know, uh, the finasteride syndrome, as they call it. Yeah, and it's sort of like, I think, 5% of males who use oral finasteride will will suffer with finasteride syndrome, like reduced libido, which continues post-cessation of using the compound. So it's it's one of those things that um, guys need to be very wary about when they're making the decision to use it because of the global effect it has in the body, which now, when you look at the research, isn't actually required. We can effectively block 5-alpha reductase in the scalp and effectively limit this androgenic alopecia. Yeah, right on. Um, so without going into like the deep, if people want to follow uh, SN Education, I have like a 50 minute talk on going into the science of 5-Alfred updates and why finasteride works. And I'm not going to bore people here. So if they do want to check out the, the actual molecular science, they can, they can head over to SN Education and check out the content. Hell yeah. That, that's sort of like two two parts to the treatment. So you've got your increased blood flow. You've got sort of the hormonal imbalance where you're using the, the finasteride. The sort of third one would be reducing inflammation. Hmm, yeah. So we know that inflammatory cascades within the scalp, like that telogen effluvium I talked about where your hair is falling out because of stress. If we can limit the amount of inflammation within the scalp, whether that's through, say, dermatitis, where we have um, potentially uh, increased skin growth, which is irritating the scalp then with, say, dandruff, or we have maybe another interesting thing that we're starting to see is the microbiome of the hair. Hmm. So in other words, the, I guess how the immune system interacts with the other commensal bacteria in our head is important. And what we're actually starting to see is the bacteria P. acnes, that propioni bacteria acnes that causes acne on our backs when it, when it reaches high levels. In guys who suffer with androgenic alopecia, they're actually starting to see that approximately 80% of these males have a high amount of P. acnes within their scalp. No kidding. Wow. So... There's potentially there that this bacteria is starting to enter into a territory where, you know, we have higher levels of sebum being produced because of the DHD production. And that, again, is causing an inflammatory response that's causing damage to the hair follicle as huh. the body's trying to, to combat that bacteria within the, the environment, basically. Yeah. So that's that's something nice to see that, you know, when you use finasteride topically, you may be limiting the proliferation of that bacteria again because you're limiting the amount of DHT present in your scalp. Interesting. Um, then there's other, you know, one thing that people asked me my opinion on was azelic acid. Okay. Have you ever heard of this? No, this is a new one to me. So azelic acid is used um, mainly as sort of like a topical moisturizer by oh. women. Um, but when it's applied to the scalp, it helps to limit inflammation. It helps to upregulate some of the growth factors within your scalp. And there was another study again where they combined azelic acid with minoxidil, 
and that increased the effect, the efficacy of the minoxidil. So in other words, you're lowering the inflammation, you're bringing more blood flow to the area and the dermal papilla is happy and the hair follicle starts growing. Hmm. So azelic acid is, is something that people can look at for topical application if they want to go down that route. Interesting. How, um, how would you go about that? Is there a dosage for that that people should look for? Uh, there wasn't anything really mentioned when you look at the literature in terms of dosing. It's just, again, just to apply a, a thin amount, I suppose, to the scalp. Okay. It's very difficult to probably quantify the actual amount. If you if you buy it as a as a moisturizer, there's no sort of standard dose. It's just azelic acid in a bottle to a percentage. I see. Okay. You know, volume volume per volume. So you're you're probably just going to apply a, a small amount to whatever's needed. So, you know, effectively where you're putting it on your scalp. Yeah. Um and then probably the other one that people probably don't know too much about and there's quite a number of like patents or again research into it is emu oil oh okay so emu oil when you look at the literature from like the last maybe 12 13 years emu oil helps um first of all it's has high amounts of linolenic acid which would be an omega fatty acid which helps again nourish your hair follicle because again it comes back to that nutrition aspect we spoke about so we have to ensure that you have a nice amount of polyunsaturated fats in your diet again for the lipid membranes of your body in order to repair them yeah so emu oil has a high amount of linolenic acid in it which helps to nourish that hair follicle but what's very interesting about emu oil is that it passes straight through your skin okay so it's it's basically in the literature it's it's phosphorus deficient. So if you look at the outside of all your cells, you have this phospholipid membrane. So because emu oil has no phosphorus in it, it easily passes through your skin. Huh, no kidding. So what, what you can effectively do here then is when you've applied your finasteride, you've applied your minoxidil, you can use your emu oil on top in order to help the absorption through the dermal layers. Hell yeah. I like so, I like where we're going with this. This sounds good. So so in other words, what we're trying to do is take advantage of a, a enhanced, I guess, topical delivery of stuff that we know works. Yeah. And then I guess the fourth aspect to hair treatments will be, you know, the inevitable. Um, like we talk about over in Europe, going to say Turkey and getting a hair transplant. <laughs> Yeah. And that's sort of a hair transplant. So obviously like the success rate of a hair transplant is greater than 90%. So basically what you have two sort of scenarios. You have the old fashioned way with a hair transplant, whereby they take a strip of hair from the back, which is the, the sort of occipital part of your head. Yeah. Literally cut that out and then just layer it on top of where it needs hair again, basically. The other area that they sort of do, which is, I guess, the newer way of doing transplant would be basically they, they remove individual hair follicles from that occipital area and then transplant that follicle into a balded area. Huh. So it's sort of a, a minimized scarring procedure, not actually having to cut parts of the scalp off. You're, you're pulling the follicle out sort of through a punching mechanism. So they sort of punch... Huh. one millimeter holes into that occiput area and take the hair out and transplant wow. it in. Wow. Now, 
the thing about hair transplants and you know I've, I've sort of openly spoke about this even on social media they fail and huh. most guys don't don't admit their failure or talk about their failure hmm. so if, if we sort of look at the mechanisms of hair loss they still apply to transplanted hair yeah so if you're if your hair is falling out from your temporal region on either side you can sort of guarantee within five to six years that transplanted hair is going to suffer the same fate unless you, you know, incorporate some of the strategies that we've talked about there of helping to increase blood flow, limiting the androgens, lowering inflammation. And this should be something that's sort of critically told to transplant patients of, oh, yeah. you know, when, when the transplant is done, some surgeons will encourage the use of minoxidil post-surgery in order to help the graft stick. Yeah. But it should it should effectively be prescribed for the long term. Which makes sense. It makes, it makes total sense. I heard um, one time Joe Rogan made an analogy that I thought sounded really good about this. He said, a hair transplant is like if you have a bunch of sick people because they live in the city and there's a lot of smog and pollutants and that they're dying off because of that. And then you take healthy people from a clean neighborhood, like out in the suburbs, and then you move them into the city. Eventually, you know, they're, they're going to be good at first, but eventually they're going to get sick too. That's that's a great analogy. And that's, again, that's why we want to, when we're treating androgenetic alopecia, the, I guess the sorry circumstance is that it's sort of a lifelong treatment if you want to keep your hair, basically, because yeah. of... The, the high instance of, um, I guess, Scott would love this because Scott has often talked about, you know, the CAG repeats in the androgen receptor. Yes. He's often spoke about, you know, guys who have shorter ones or longer ones. Well, basically, the people who have shorter CAG re repeats will respond to finasteride therapy within okay. their hair follicles. So we're going to, we're going to limit the amount of damage within the hair follicle. Huh. Whereas people who have higher CAG repeats. So you have this sort of polymorphism within the androgen receptor, which might make them a hyper responder effectively leads them to losing their hair. So you can do this sort of genetic testing to see your susceptibility to androgenic alopecia, but it, it's, it's more than likely approximately 70% maternally um inherited so yeah. you can sort of look at your uncles your grandfather and your mother's side you can sort of follow the maternal line and see you know what what sort of fate your hair is going to have as you age but know that these therapies like minoxidil etc if they're used early so again if you're suffering with androgenic alopecia in your early 20s there's nothing to say that you can't continue that therapy, you know, forever and maintain that hair, hair health. Yeah. But as soon as you stop the processes, the underlying genetics, you, you can't avoid that genetics. So the hair is eventually going to fall out. Yeah. So it's sort of, you know, if you're making this commitment to keeping your hair, you have to stay on top of the treatment if you want to, if you want to maintain it basically. And that's yeah. the same point that applies to a hair transplant. And that makes sense. And and I guess, you know, the it comes down to, uh, you know, how much do you care about it? For some people, like we talked about at the beginning, some people, they start losing their hair and they're like, yeah, screw it. They just start shaving their heads and that's fine. 
And then there's other guys that, uh, you know, they, they just, I guess the thing is, is, you know, where, where do you want to draw that line? I, I couldn't see myself ever going in for a hair transplant, but I thought to myself, you know what, it would be easy enough to try some things that would help me to retain. And I, I actually, my hair has gotten thicker, um, in the process it's it's improved now i will say i did take a step back when i got covid all my hair started falling out like it, it and and i'm sure that had to do with stress number one and inflammation yeah. number two but i experienced a ton of hair loss and um when i first went back to get my hair cut the my barber looked at me and he was she was like holy crap like what happened you know because it was just across the board everything had thinned out and my hair got super brittle too. Um, but now fast forward eight months later and it's, you know, it's, it's not quite to where it was, but it's, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Right. And I'm, I'm happy that there yeah. are steps I can take, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's like myself, I've areas probably in my temporal region here that sort of widow's peak. I'm never going to get grown back that have had slowly receded, say from, maybe the age of 23, 24. And because yeah. it was so slow, you're sort of, you know, I, it's fine. You don't really notice it. And then you get to like your, your mid thirties and you look and you go, well, actually maybe I should have not been lazy back then and, and incorporate these strategies. But yeah. I think, you know, I, I think you start to put a little more focus on your hair as you get older and you, you realize that, you know, it's, it's not a precious commodity, but you've sort of got a limited time of, appreciating it before you actually have to start taking care of it <laughs> yes yeah that sounds good man <laughs>